How are we doing today, ladies and gentlemen? This is Pack Center, your one-stop shop for all things Nevada sports. I am your host, Austin Paschke, joined by my co-host, like always, Tyler Seth. It's going to be a great one today. We break down swimming and diving, soccer, men's golf, men's tennis, the red-hot volleyball team, and then we preview the San Jose State football game. So stick around, guys. It's going to be a great episode. And we're back and ready to rumble. I say we say we recap some other sports and then we'll get into the football. Yeah. Football yeah, preview. I like that. Alrighty. So we're gonna cover swimming and diving. We haven't been um, talking about them much, but coming off the team's first dual win of the 2019-20 season against Washington State. The Nevada swimming and diving team will travel down south to Little Brothers and play UNLV for a duel on Friday, October 11th at 5 p.m. The last time the pack was in the pool, Nevada came out strong against Washington State and took down the Cougars by a score of 172 to 90. Absolutely obliteration to take the first dual win of the year. This meet also marks the first diving meet of the season for Nevada, so it's just been swimming so far until October 11th. Returning our sophomores, Victoria Rice, Linnea Sorensen, and Laura Isabel Vasquez Lopez. Now, Lopez, she wrapped up her season with a 24th place finish in the three-meter dive at the NCAA Championships, while Rice and Sorensen were key members of the dive team that was the high-scoring group at the Mountain West Championships. So we're returning a lot of good talent on this swimming and diving team. I think we're going to see another great year from them like we see every year from the swimming and diving team. And uh, it's going to be fun to see another Wolfpack team just absolutely beat up on the Little Brothers down south on October 11th. Um, Another bright year, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I feel like... Swimming and, swimming and diving just keeps pumping out these amazing seasons left and right. Champion, Mountain, Mountain West, West Championships yeah. left and right. Yeah. So it's definitely one of the most successful sports that's continuously successful on campus for I sure. Agree. And the fact that we have all these divers coming back, one that went to the NCAA Championships, I mean, it's only going to get better and better from here. So great coaching, uh, a great team for swimming and diving. Yeah, I think they absolutely dominate the Little Brothers down south on the 11th, and um, they dominate the rest of the season as well. Yeah, it's always fun to see uh, people on the Wolfpack swimming and diving team going so far to the uh, NCAA championship. Um, I think Lopez is going to be able to do it again, and it, and we're going to be able to return a couple key pieces for the diving team as well. So I think they're going to be uh, a team to be reckoned with this year like they are every year. Um, and then soccer, again, um, they are celebrating alumni weekend this week, which is which is pretty cool. The Wolfpack is two and nine on the season, one and three in the Mountain West. Uh, could be a lot worse. Could be a lot better. Kind of sitting in that bottom third, but you know what? There's a lot of room to grow with this young team, like we've been saying every week. Uh, we're back home this weekend, though, with two more Mountain West contests as it prepares to face Colorado College, which I didn't even know that they were in the Mountain West. Yeah, when you brought it up last episode, I just thought it was a random kind of filler game. But but yeah, they're part I, of the Mountain West I, for only for soccer, soccer I, guess. I guess. Yeah, it's weird how some teams are only in here for soccer, but then others are in uh, for all, all sports. So yeah. it's kind of weird. But uh, Colorado College, who is in the Mountain West for soccer, uh, they are seven and three, two and two in the Mountain West. They play on Friday. 
And then we take on Air Force, who is seven and three and one, and then two and two in the Mountain West on Sunday. They have their first ever like pack versus cancer match on Sunday, which is cool to see. I think football, which we'll touch on later, is doing the same thing on mm-hmm. Saturday with the pink uniforms, which is pretty cool. But both teams are going to be playing their games versus cancer games. Uh, soccer, it's going to be on Sunday. Forward Gabby Brown is having a ridiculous freshman season as she is sixth in all of Division One, averaging 5.5 six shots per game she leads nevada with 50 shots and is sitting at 50th in d1 with 1.78 shots on goal per game i think she made a bet with someone where she at least has to get like six shots in a game because she is just kicking the ball all over the field um, making other goalies kind of sweat a little bit when they see her coming towards her but she has seven points stemming from three goals and an assist all lead the pack this season as well but the MVP of the team, like we've been saying, goalkeeper Kendall Sovel, is currently second in the Mountain West with 62 saves on the season and a .785 save percentage. She currently ranks fifth all-time in Nevada history with 161 career saves and had a fantastic game against Hawaii when she recorded a career-high 12 saves, which is most in a game in the Mountain West this season. If I'm not mistaken, Kendall Sovel is a sophomore. Yes. So... Yeah. To be fifth in Nevada history in saves and to have 12 saves in one game and currently second, I mean, she is she has a lot of room to grow, but she's already top of her game. Yeah, and it, that's, the, that's the scary part, too, I, is, like, she's only a sophomore and she's putting up these numbers currently and she still has two seasons left to dominate in goal for us. So, I mean, it's a really good sight to see. Yeah, especially with this young offense that we have, like she is going to be able to continue to captain this defense. And I think that's going to be a really good sign for Nevada soccer to improve on. Uh, Even though this season's not the best season that we'd like to see, I think there's a lot of room to grow, not only just in a few years, but like next year. Like we have a lot of freshman offensive players like Gabby Brown um, and that are returning next year. And then we also have Kendall Sovo, who's going to be able to man this defense and continue to just beast every single game. I think she's going to finish her career first in Nevada, like Nevada's uh, total saves. I don't see how she doesn't. Yeah, I, yeah. if she keeps going what she's going, yeah. I don't see how it's right. possible that she doesn't finish I mean, first. She's just an absolute animal, and sh- um, we're thankful that she's back there because if she wasn't back there, this season could have gotten ugly real fast. Real fast, yes. So thank God she's back there. But Colorado College – has been nearly unstoppable in non-conference play, going 5-1 and one through their first six matches. In Mountain West action so far this season, they boast a 2-2 two and two record with home victories against San Jose State and Colorado State. The Air Force Falcons will come to Mackey Stadium with one of the most prolific offenses in the Mountain West this season, boasting 21 goals with only 12 allowed. Lexi Romero is leading the attack for Air Force, boasting nine goals and three assists for 21 points on the year. She leads the team with 43 shots, with four of her shots being game winners. That's not good news if you're passing. No, I, as we were reading through that, I kind of got you know, more tense and yeah. more tense as you went down the Just line. discouraging it's, fact after discouraging fact. I mean, Kendall and the defense is going to have to step up against Air Force for sure. I mean... Like you said, one of the best offenses in the Mountain West. Yeah. And with Miss Romero leading the helm, um, it's going to be dangerous. But they are in Mackey. The altitude might get them. Right. I mean, we say this for a lot of teams, but it is true. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they got the lungs and 
they can kind of put us away like that. But I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than a lot of people are anticipating for Air Force. Yeah, I think so too. And and I think both of these games are winnable games. Definitely. If I mean, if we play the way that we have um, have not started the season, but as of recently, our offense has kind of ticked up a little bit. Our defense is still kind of remained solid a little bit. I know we got beat by San Diego State, I think 4-1. But our defense is still kind of playing how they've been playing. And our offense continues to uptick their productivity. I think that both these games are winnable games. It just depends on how, like, which team shows up yeah, exactly. this weekend. If we put a couple goals in the back of the net, right. I think it's they're easily winnable games. We don't. We're obviously not going to win. I mean, that's just the fact of where soccer is right now. It's the girls got to put goals in the back of the net. You know, Kendall can't score the goals as well as save them for the other right. team. So yeah. it's going to be it's going to be an interesting challenge for them this weekend. Um, hopefully they can get some. I know a lot of the gr- some of the girls had their first career goals yep. uh, this past weekend. So hopefully they kind of get that confidence. One of them was an absolute screamer as well. I was watching yeah. the, the clip on Twitter that Nevada Soccer posted, and she was outside the box and banged it, I think, top right yep. corner, and it was an amazing goal. So we have girls that can shoot the ball extremely well. Um, it's just a matter of translating that into – goals and into putting them in the right positions in the games as well right I think these two games are going to be really exciting and it's a chance for pack fans to come out and support I mean Friday today we play Colorado College and then Sunday Air Force so not only will you be able to see two very good games but then you'll be able uh, at least if you go to the Sunday game you'll be able to support a good cause as they're having the pack versus cancer match on Sunday so it'll be fun to see them play some some good teams and to raise money for a good cause, which is always good. Moving on to men's golf, they didn't do as hot as we thought. Mm-hmm. Let's, just, yeah. let's just put it that way. Not the worst. I mean, they placed 11th in a 15-team field at the Alistair McKenzie Invitational uh, this past, I think it was Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. We were giving live stats to you guys on Monday, and then they finished up on Tuesday. They ended up finishing 11th out of, like I said, the 15-team field. So not the best, and not, I mean, at least for me, not what I was expecting. I was expecting a top-five finish, just because of how the year has been going. Yeah, it's, yeah, I I wasn't expecting quite a top-five. I was thinking middle of the pack towards upper third-ish, right. just depending. But, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of a disappointing finish. Had some golfers really struggle as we go into the stats here. But, yeah, just kind of had some golfers struggle. Some just did okay, and right. it just wasn't enough low-carded scores to kind of push us into that top-five range. Yeah, I agree. The Wolfpack posted its best team round of the tournament on the final day, which was Tuesday, carding a five-under team score of 279. That, coupled with a 285 and 280 on Monday, put the pack at eight-under par for the tournament. So it's not that's not overly bad, but, I mean, eight-under par got you 11th place. Uh, just two shots out of picking up a top-ten finish. Nevada had two players finish under par for the tournament with MVP senior Sam Harned tying for 26th place at four under and sophomore Trey Davis, who has cons- consistently kind of just been marching his way up there uh, as a sophomore. He placed in a tie for 31st at two under. Harned turned in the low Wolfpack round of the day, shooting a three under 68 he was perfect in his round through 13 holes with four birdies and his first eagle of the season. So congrats to Sam Harn for um, you know, being that bright spot of the of the group for this tournament. 
Uh, Trey Davis, two under par score, marks a career best tournament score to, to par finish for the sophomore who tied his career low round of 69 in the final 18. He had just one hiccup during his round on number 17, but other than that, collected four birdies. Uh, Nevada will be back in action October 21st through the 23rd at the Visit Stockton Pacific Invitational, a tournament that we won last season. So, um, yeah, if you want to visit Stockton. What a name, right? What, what a tournament name. You know, us being from Sacramento, we're pretty familiar with Stockton. I don't know if I'd want to visit Stockton. But, yeah, um, my uh, my mom actually grew up in the Stockton area, and there's a reason she didn't stay for long. So, right. I mean, the uh, the University of Pacific, beautiful college, nothing against them. That's probably the bright spot in Stockton. But, yeah, there's probably a reason it's called the Visit Stockton Pacific yeah. Invitational. Come it's, on out. Yeah. <laughs> visit it's, Stockton. It's interesting. But, yeah. Um, I mean, it is a tournament that we won last season, though. It is, and that is encouraging. We'll have to see the field and see how we match up against some of the other teams. Hopefully we see some more Mountain West opponents in there. But, yeah, this this uh, Monday and Tuesday weren't the best. Trey Davis, like you said, I, I've i been seeing his name up and he's been consistently shooting under par, two, three under for these tournaments. And, you know, he's really starting to turn it around. And then, obviously, yeah, the MVP, Sam Horn, tying for 26. That's that's pretty impressive uh, to see the boys doing that. And eight under, like you said, yeah, not a bad score. Yeah. But um, there was just some – I know looking at the live stats, when we last recorded, there were some crazy, crazy uh, low scores. So it's going to be hard for the pack to kind of compete with those when they're having uh, a couple players having off days or off rounds. But it, it'll be interesting to see um, how they do in the Stockton Invitational. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the number one team finished with – like a like a minus forty three, yeah, or something like that. Here I have the stats right here. Uh, Pepperdine ran away with the team title, finishing forty three under par. Who was their top golfer? I don't know. Say? It doesn't say their top golfer, oh. but as a team, forty three under par is that's insane. That's yeah. That's consistently every yeah. guy shooting. You got like five guys in there. I think they. I think the Wolfpack put up five in for this tournament. So you got five people in there. A 43 under, they're all averaging, what, like almost seven, eight under par. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, that's that's an insane score to card in one of these tournaments. And having a team, you know, going off like that, it's kind of yeah. tough to, you know. It's tough to compete with that. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Honestly, yes. It's uh, tough to compete. So, Nevada will be back in action, though, October 21st, 23rd. So, just a little quick break for men's golf and then we'll be back going again we'll be able to give you guys live updates like we always do but then men's tennis we talked to you guys a little bit about julian evard the senior who played in the ita all-american on tuesday but that's when he concluded his time he uh fell to jacob brom of california in two sets but on monday when we recorded evard lost a hard fought three sets match to josh goodger of florida and went uh and 2 in the event tuesday evard lost the first set 6 to 3 and the second set 7 to 6 in a tiebreaker brom won the second set tiebreaker 7-4 next action for the wolfpack is october 16th at the ita mountain mountain regional in denver colorado so while evard didn't do the best that we thought he was going to do uh, congrats at least making it to an All-American tournament and playing against the top competition in the entire country. Didn't do what he wanted, I'm sure, but, you know, congrats for him at least making it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anytime 
you know, a smaller school like us in Nevada gets to, you know, any one of our individual athletes gets to compete against, you know, a Cal athlete, you have a Florida athlete and tons of other, you know, some of these big, big, big name yeah. colleges. Yeah, it's always a an accomplishment to even get invited, let alone, you know, compete with these guys and really, you know, make them win their matches and not have you lose their matches. Exactly. Um, so it's, you know, shout out Julian Navard. You know, we're going to watch him the rest of the season. Probably going to be a pack player of the week at some point oh, yeah. during the rest of the season. Guaranteed. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be uh, one of those ath- student athletes to keep an eye on for sure, especially on this tennis team. Yeah, he's going to be the bright spot of this tennis team. I know that for a fact. Uh, he's by far the best performer year in, year out. So it's going to be fun to watch and see what he does later on. But now the sport that's slowly becoming my favorite here in yes. Nevada. Like, slowly but surely becoming my favorite sport to watch, and that's volleyball. Oh, yeah. Volleyball is is still killing it. It's just behind 16th-ranked Colorado State. After falling in the first two sets to San Jose State, Nevada Volleyball rattled off a three-straight-set win to win the final game, three sets to two and a five-set thriller at VSG, Virginia Street Gym. Tyler, you're never watching another volleyball game ever again. See, I don't think I'm allowed to watch another Nevada sport That's again. True. That's because, true. Because, all right, so the story behind this is, as our listeners know, during the Purdue game, I left, I was in the stadium, and I left with about midway through the third quarter when it wasn't looking so bleak. I got home, and I get a text from Austin saying, you got to turn this on right now. We're coming back. And I watched the field goal from our house, which is probably like a 10-minute walk from the stadium, <laughs> if that. Um, so that one hurt a lot. And then we were down 0-2 against San Diego State. Yeah. We weren't looking hot at all. Yeah, real quick, we were, we were not. And we'll get into that, but we were not looking good. Like, we were both watching it, and, like, this is the this is a completely different volleyball team that's been playing all year. Yeah, it was – it just looked like a lot of mental miscues yeah. and stuff like that. So we were down 0-2. San Jose needed one set. It looks like they were going to sweep us. Yep. So I decide I haven't gotten to the gym today. <laughs> I went to go to the gym. And uh, we get, what do you say, like subscribe to them on Twitter? Or we oh, get yeah, their, just notifications. Yeah, we get their yeah. notifications. And I'm at the gym, and I keep seeing, oh, Nevada wins the third set. I'm like, all right, nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Make it a game. Yeah, <laughs> making it making it a little interesting. And then I see Nevada wins the second or the fourth set, and it's 2-2 now. And I and that's when I texted Austin. I said, I'm not coming home until the, <laughs> yeah. until the volleyball game's over. And they eventually end up winning that fifth and final set. And I pulled into the driveway, and I said, I'm never watching a Nevada sports game again because I think I'm the worst curse that I could bestow on this amazing campus in college. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I told him. I was like, you know what, dude? Don't even don't even watch basketball. Don't watch a basketball game this year. So maybe we'll go undefeated <laughs> the entire year. Uh, but I think that was the first time I've ever yelled at the TV for a volleyball game. And I wish I would have been there because I, I would have been right dude, next to you yelling set, and screaming. I was just – Inches away from the TV, just yelling at the girls because I was like, dude, if we come back right now, that would be crazy. Uh, the last time Nevada came back from a 2-0 deficit at VSG was in September 2016 against Gonzaga, who the pack swept earlier this year. Uh, it was also the first three-set comeback in the conference since October of 2014 when, guess who, Nevada came back to beat Fresno State in Fresno. Freshman Sidney Peterson and junior Cassie McGill were the only two Wolfpack players to have double-digit kills. Peterson with 11 and McGill with 10. Kayla Foa was next in line with 9. 
Ryan Blackwood, our libero, ended with 16 digs, while setter and senior Daylin Burns recorded her eighth double-double, posting 22 digs and 26 assists. In the first two sets, the pack really struggled, making errors like pretty much every single play, and San Jose was playing like a team who wanted to get their first win in the Mountain West. Um, they truly were just taking advantage of every single miscue that we had. In the third set, the pack looked like they came alive a little bit, rattled off a uh, 2-5-0 scoring runs to go up for the first big lead of the match, 15-8, to before the Spartans called a timeout. The two scoring runs for San Jose State pulled them within one, 17-16. That's where I got a little bit nervous before a 7-1 run from Nevada, pulling the must-win set away from the Spartans. And then when they went in the fourth set, it looked like they woken up. They they came alive a little bit. Uh, they started off the set 6-1 uh, to one lead after freshman Andrea Al- Alcaraz fed Peterson a kill on the outside. The Pack had the largest lead at the 20-11 to 11 mark when Kayla Foa had a service ace to go up 21-11. McGill with back-to-back kills sealed the set number four and forced a fifth and deciding set. The fifth set was the closest played of the night. Spartans hit .31, while the pack was had an astounding .393. In the fifth set alone, Nevada only committed one error, which was completely night and day difference from the first two sets. San Jose took the lead 5-3 early, but a kill from McGill tied it up 7-7. The Spartans had the lead 8-7 at the switch, but a kill from Cameron Racha, who had probably one of the best games of her season, tied it back up 8-8. It was a back and forth until Brianna Souza ended it with a tip, which didn't work the entire game, it seemed like, but then it won us the game 15-13. Probably one of the most exciting matches I've watched all season. Uh, grit is a word we throw around here at Nevada. They showed a lot of grit, probably more grit than the football team has showed this season. It was amazing. So this, So this team is looking great. I mean, this team is looking like they are on another mission. We've been saying it on Monday. We talked about the chances of them going to the NCAA tournament. I still think it's possible. A lot of people I don't think think it's possible just because how good Colorado State is this year. But I think it's possible. And this team looks like they're on a mission. Even when they're down two sets to zero, you know, they, they came back and won three straight sets to win this game. Yeah, I mean, when they're back against the wall, they really stepped up. And like you said, the first two sets... It was bad. There was a lot of miscommunication yep. on the court. The San Jose State libero, who was being talked about in the broadcast that we were watching, um, was playing out of her mind again, um, like all liberos seem to play when yeah, they play us, I guess. Exactly. But, yeah, just a lot of miscommunication, a lot of some poor execution on Nevada's part, some passing errors, some uh, service errors by the pack as well. But, yeah, you'd love to see him turn it around. Whatever Lee Nelson said to them yeah. in the middle of the second and the third set must have worked because they came out swinging. Um, it's always good to see a team like this bounce back after, you know, they probably should have won this game. They probably should have swept San Jose State, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't start as hot as they would like to. They come back. They win. Huge boost in team morale. Huge boost in confidence, knowing that, you know, we can do this against probably any team. If we're down, we're never out. So it's really good to see. Like you're saying, I was scrolling on Twitter, kept refreshing to keep looking at updates, and, um, I was reading along with you, but uh, just probably fortunate enough not at the house in front right. of the TV. Exactly. But yeah, it was uh, it was a good win for the pack for sure. Yeah, it's good to see because, like you said, it is good to come back from that 
2-0 deficit and say, like, you know what, we can win three sets back-to-back-to-back. And um, we, they, you know, Lee Nelson, they might be able to complete one of his goals that he was talking about in our interview, and that is making it to an NCAA ch- tournament. We'll see, and that would be incredible if that happened and we'd be able to see them play in an NCAA tournament. That would be just absolutely insane, and I think they can do it. But looking ahead, now is the nitty and gritty football preview against San Jose State, who right now is 3-2, and two, just like us, and might be headed for their first ever winning like record since joining the Mountain West. Like this is a completely night and day San Jose State team that we've seen from I don't know 8 years prior. Yeah, and I could see them probably getting to a bowl this season as well. I mean, this, this team is, is scaring me. Yeah, this is something that no one really saw coming in the preseason. You know, mm-hmm. they were it's just San Jose State. Everyone kind of yeah, discredits them and writes them off, but you know, we give credit to where credit's due right oh, yeah. here and they deserve a lot of credit for the fight they've been putting up this season. You know, wins over Northern Colorado, SEC foe Arkansas, yep. which was something no one saw no coming. One. That was a crazy um, upset. And then they beat New Mexico last week, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just last week. But yeah, it's been, you know, a ride for San Jose State this year. And yeah, it's something that kind of scares me looking up and down this depth chart and in their defense and offense. It's something that definitely should scare a lot of Pac fans that probably, if they're not paying close attention to other Mountain West teams this year. Yeah, they were. I think like preseason, they were probably picked last, if not second to last, in the Mountain West. They just beat New Mexico, who I think should be the worst. They're the worst team in Mountain West probably right now, but they are just so much better than recent years. They might have their first winning record since joining the Mountain West, but this game scares me because of one their growth together as a team. They've been able to grow these past couple years. But then who they have is quarterback. I mean, they have one of the best quarterbacks, I would say, in the Mountain West under center in Josh Love. The amount that they pass the ball and the rate that they pass the ball truly scares me because of our pass defense. If we're going percentages, I say like 65 70% of the time they would they're going to they're gonna toss the rock. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, while they, while they pass the ball a lot, they barely run the ball. Nick Nash, who is their second-string QB— is averaging 46 yards on the ground per game. It, that's the most out of their entire rushing offense it, that he's averaging the most yards per game. Is their backup quarterback, who they might run in some like wildcat formation. I don't know what they do. He, I mean, he's averaging 46 yards per game. Uh, Dijon Parker, who has the most touches, he has 48 rushes on the season, but he only averages 36 yards per game. Tyler Nevins also gets some touches at running back, but he only averages 27 yards per game. So it's kind of like a running back committee they kind of have with um, their two running backs and then Nick Nash, their backup quarterback. Their first game against Northern Colorado, Nash had five rushes for 67 yards. Tyler Nevins had eight attempts for 42 yards, and Dijon Packer had 13 rushes for 40 yards. But their latest game against New Mexico, where they won 32-21, Nick Nash had nine rushes for 30 yards. Dijon Parker, seven rushes for 27 yards. Nevins, nine rushes for 25 yards. So they don't run the ball. They, yeah. I mean, they run the ball kind of by committee to kind of switch it up a little bit, but they don't run the ball. The real threat in the entire offense is Josh Love. I mean, this kid's really, really good. He has a 139 passer rating on the year. He's thrown the ball 181 times in the year. He's completed 112 of them. He's only thrown one interception the entire year. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He's thrown for 1,418 yards, seven TDs. 
He also has two 400-yard passing games, one against SEC foe Arkansas and one against New Mexico. Uh, I mean, this kid scares me. Yeah, I mean, he could sling it, and he's got some He's got some weapons where he can also, you know, on the wide receiver position, he has some weapons out there as well. I mean, you got, as you look at kind of the receptions going top to bottom and kind of like the San Jose stats, it's pretty evenly spread out. It's not he doesn't have like a super favorite target. He definitely yeah. has one in Trey Walker. Mm-hmm. Has the most catches on the team, but outside of Trey Walker, it ranges from 15 to probably I'd say 6 yeah. or 10 is where it kind of and then you start getting the 3s and 2s and whatever. But you could tell he evenly distributes the ball, which is a sign of a great quarterback. He finds the open receiver no matter who it is, and he is very scary, especially to a team like us who doesn't defend the pass all that well. We saw that last week against Hawaii where we got cut up and roasted in that game as well. Um, so, yeah, we Pack fans do have a right to be scared. I mean, mm-hmm. Josh Love is the real deal. I mean, he's having an amazing season, and it's going to be a tough one to stop for our DBs this week. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Cole McDonald. He, has, he doesn't run the ball as well, but he has the arm like Cole McDonald. He doesn't have as many turnovers as Cole McDonald has, but he reminds me a lot like Cole McDonald, and especially going up against our defense, who ranks 111th in passing yards allowed per game. It's it's pretty scary. And their O-line is a team to not mess around with either. Uh, I mean, our D-line is going to have their word cut out for them. They rank 26th in the nation, only giving out 1.4 sacks per game. And they have an older O-line who has been there a long time. They only have one underclassman who is a redshirt freshman, so he still has one year of practice under his belt at the college level. So Dom Peterson and the rest of the D-line is going to be very, very busy with this O-line. I mean, I guess it's kind of good that we don't really have to worry about the run game as much, but it's just like, which secondary is going to show up on Saturday? And that's the scary part of me. Because like while we are pretty good at forcing turnovers, we have a couple INTs on the year. This team doesn't turn over the ball. Yeah. At all. Last year they had a, I think it was a minus twenty six. Six. Yeah. Minus twenty six turnover margin. This year they have plus eleven. Like that. That part of their game has completely just revamped, and they. I mean, this team's looking good. I I get that they haven't probably played the best of teams, but. I mean, looking at our schedule, besides Oregon and Purdue, who have we really played? I don't know. This, this, um, and and Hawaii, I guess, who who has a chance to win the West? But this team is um is a force to be reckoned with on the offensive side of the ball. And their defensive side of the ball, they aren't necessarily pushovers, but they necessarily aren't the best either. They kind of fit middle of the pack at uh, the FBS defense. They, their strongest outing was their first game against Northern Colorado. They held them to 18 points, but other than that, everyone's put up more than 18 points against them, which means that, I mean, obviously teams can score against this defense. I mean, well, I don't know if our offense will be able to score against this defense. <laughs> their defense ranks 63rd in passing defense and is one of the worst in the country at run defense, ranking 123rd out of 130 teams in the country, allowing 223 running yards per game. That's good news for us. That's good news for Toa Tawa. That's good news for our offensive line. Hopefully they can get a push. Um, they've been very, very beat up. We know that as of late. We don't know how they're going to be able to kind of adjust that Jake Nelson injury that they that he suffered against Hawaii. But hopefully that our offensive line can get a little bit of a push because off- obviously their D-line isn't the strongest. They can't stop the run. 
they don't get that much pressure on the QB. They only have four sacks on, out of in five games. Three of those sacks are coming from backers. They only have one sack coming from their D-line. So it's their D-line isn't that well. And their starting D-line has yet to record a sack. That was a backup D-lineman that recorded that first sack. Their starting D-line isn't the best. They're probably one of the worst in the country, which is good news for our offensive line. But their backers are, are no slouches. That is for sure. Uh, one guy to look out for is redshirt senior Ethan Aguer- Aguayo, who leads the team in tackles. He only has one sack, two tackles for a loss, and one INT, but he leads the team in tackles. He's kind of an all-around backer. He kind of does everything for him, but they do not rush the QB very well. They rank 126th in the country with .8 sacks a game, so they don't even average one sack a game. They, re- they really don't pressure the ball, but they do know how to get INTs. Uh, last year, they had a turnover margin of minus 26. Like we said, they have plus 12, uh, plus 11 this year. They sit second in the nation with 11 INTs, which, wow. which is scary to me because Malik has, I would say, a history, at, at least when he played for Independence. He turned the ball over quite a few times. He threw, the, he threw kind of a lot of picks, and this is his first FBS action uh, ever. So it's kind of scaring me a little bit that they have so many INTs on the season. Maybe we're going to see more of like a 60-40 run split this uh, this game. Toa might be able to have a huge day against this weaker running defense. Um, I wouldn't really want to stress. I wouldn't really want to put the ball in Malik's hands too, too much. Because if one or two picks start coming out, you know, then what does is, what is Norvell do? Then You know, things get really complicated once they start taking a lot of some picks and uh, San Jose starts, like, hanging with us. It gets a little dicey for, for uh, Jay Norvell and the crew. But their pass defense, you know, it, it truly scares me. Our O-line is going to have their work cut out for him because of Jake Nelson injury. Uh, we rank 92nd in the country in sacks allowed per game. But it helps that Malik is back there because he's going to be able to move around the pocket a lot more and lo- use his legs. Uh, how do you think Malik is going to be able to fare against this kind of weaker D-line but this very good secondary that we're going up against? I mean, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say the same thing. You know, it's Malik with the legs that he does have and kind of the arm that he has as well. I think he's going to be able to extend a lot of plays. I don't think even with our struggling O-line, I don't think this D-line gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback yeah. on Saturday at all. I think Malik can really, if he wants to at least, sit in the pocket and make some reads. But like you said, in some of the clips that we've seen from independence and game film and stuff like that, he doesn't really, he's not a prototypical pocket passer. He likes to get outside the pocket. He likes to kind of see the field through his own eyes outside the pocket. But yeah, the defense does scare me. They have a a cornerback that has three interceptions on the year, a safety with three, and a cornerback with two, and then a couple other guys have one. So there's a couple people on this defense that are really ball hawks and that really want to intercept that football. And with Malik and kind of his, I don't want to say gunslinging attitude, but it's kind of sort of feeling that way unless he is kind of changed in his ways. Right. It's going to be a tough kind of task for him. But I do agree with you. I think we go a more of a run-heavy type play style than, you know, Pac fans have kind of used to been seeing where it's a lot of shotgun passes and um, kind of some zone reads that Carson's been making. I think Malik and Toa, I think they run – some read option. I think a lot of that gets kind of tossed into play. Malik's a smart quarterback. Remember, he's yeah. 
He's been around the game for a while. He's had some great coaching at Florida State, uh, at Independence, and then, you know, doing some kind of off-the-field workouts and stuff like that. So definitely he's a smart quarterback, and he can kind of read defenses, but it's going to be more of a run-heavy game if I think Nevada wants to win the game, but we definitely still have to air the ball out sometimes and, you know, show our trust in Malik that kind of Jay has put on him this week in practice. And maybe we see more of like an option kind of style run offense that we see. Like maybe we'll be able to see Malik run the ball and toe run the ball and maybe shy away from this kind of air raid offense, just throwing the ball all over the field because obviously that hasn't really worked out well. We got absolutely demolished by Hawaii, who has the same kind of quarterback in Josh Love, and I just do not want to see – I don't think we're going to obviously see a repeat of Hawaii, but if we don't keep up with their offensive scoring that they can do and throw the ball over the field, and if we can't at least get some touchdowns and run the ball effectively, this game could could possibly go uh, San Jose State's way. And that's yeah. then that's scary to think about. You know, coming into the season, no one thought that this was going to be a game that we were kind of worried about, and now – you know, one day before the game, everyone's kind of uh, getting a little nerves. Palms are starting to sweat. A little antsy. Right? And people now are starting to think, you know, what happens if San Jose State actually keeps this a game going into the third and fourth quarter? How is the team going to react, especially with Malik under center? We've only heard good things about Malik, so I think he's going to be a team player and he's going to continue to kind of lead, you know, kind of like a leader uh, mentality on the field. But it's just funny how now where our team is at looking at this game it's not a for sure blow them out type of game yeah I think yeah like you're saying a preseason a lot of people in Penn put this as a W on the yes. schedule and it was an easy W that's something we really didn't have to think twice about but now like you said a day before the game it's it's really kind of uncertain there's mm-hmm. a lot of experts that go either way on this game and I could see both arguments to why it would go San Jose's way why we go our way. It's going to be a tough one. You know, the fact that it's in Mackey definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we get a decent-sized crowd out there. Hopefully the Pack fans aren't starting to dwindle a little bit as the weather gets colder and the team isn't playing kind of up to some expectations that we kind of set for ourselves during the preseason. So it's going to be interesting to see how this game kind of fares and how uh, we play as a team compared to how San Jose State plays because I think it's mostly Nevada's game to lose. I think we do have the better team, but I could easily see if we make a couple of mistakes, it's we're going to be done for. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this team kind of steps up after the Hawaii game, having that bye week, having you know basically an extra week to prep for a San Jose State team that we shouldn't, that we didn't think was going to be a problem in the preseason. Now that's starting to look more and more like a problem. Yeah, this this team, yeah, it's scaring me, but I think that we'll still come out with the dub. I I still think we'll win. Um, I think Malik is going to give us the best chance to win, and I think he's going to be the best quarterback that we could possibly put out there at this moment just because, you know, how he's going to be able to run around the field. He's going to be able to throw the ball. There was some Malik controversy going into the week. Uh, Tuesday, he reportedly blew past reporters. He didn't want to talk to them on Tuesday, um, and then he eventually talked to them on Wednesday. What I thought was the funniest part of that entire situation was how upset, I would say, that reporters were that he didn't want to talk to him. I agree. It's like the the reporters finally like got one person that just, you know, doesn't deal with the media and doesn't want to give him the time of day. 
and they got so hurt over it. Like they were like, I don't, I don't want to throw any names out there. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to say what they said on Twitter, but they were like audibly affected by the way that he just didn't want to talk to people. And they, they um, automatically thought the worst. And that's another thing that, that kind of upset me is they eventually went to the point where, well, you saw what he has been like in the past, you know, and he just blew right past us. He didn't even want to, wouldn't even want to talk. And I don't think that is the right light we want to fit, put on him because what if it's simple as he just wanted to go to class or he just was told last minute that or he was going to talk to yeah, media. Some and mis- he, miscommunication with yeah. the SID or something like that where he didn't even get the message that he was supposed to you know, talk to the media because obviously we see on Wednesday – Whatever happened was obviously resolved. He was yeah, he you talked, know, happy to sit yeah. down and talk with media. But right. And Malik's never been a super huge media guy either. He's never— well, I mean, would you be if they slander your name exactly. every chance and they get? Exactly, and that's kind of the point where I could see Malik. He's never been a big media guy, especially, no. you know, had some trouble in the past at right. Florida State, going to Independence. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people that want to talk to him, and— you know, he just wants to, you know, play football, and that's kind of I, – I can totally respect that coming from a kid who's, you know, has been through a lot of ups and downs. He just kind of wants to show what he can do on Saturday. He doesn't want to really talk about it. He's not a big, you know, trash talker on social media or media or whatever. Yeah. You know, we see him kind of trash talking during the games, but who doesn't trash right. talk during a football game? So, you know, I can totally see – even if he did want to blow off the media, yeah, you know, more power to him. Right. I, that's what know? I think too. Yeah. That was my, that was my take too is like – Okay, if he doesn't even want to talk to the media and he's like, no, nah, like, F this. Like, I'm not going to talk to the media right now. I'm just going to focus on my game. Like, who cares? Like, if if I know if that was me and my name has been slandered nonstop for the past four years, I would be I would do the same thing. Yeah. It's and like, no, I don't want to talk to the media that's going to slander my name even more. And why do you give them a quote or something to, right, do, to do it do, with? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So. And I think in this press conference on Wednesday really showed that he, I mean, he just kept saying over and over again, he's like, I like this group. They're behind me. They've been nothing but good to me. Uh, I just want to win the game. I just want to, like, provide for my team. Like, he's just been nothing but a team player. So it's really good to see that, you know, he's he's been able to, at least from what we've seen and from everyone I've talked to on the team, has been saying he's just the greatest guy. Like, he's just putting his head down. He wants to work. He wants to win. He just wants to do what's best for the team, which is, I mean, I think the best thing you could do as a quarterback is just put your head down and work. But all that aside, I think Malik will uh, do very well. I think the team's going to ultimately be fired up. We have the full bye week of rest. We have a full bye week of preparation. We have, you know, Toa's rested. We have everyone rested. We're, they're all fired up. Jay got them fired up. They're, like, doing different conditioning. Ultimately, I think we come away with the dub. I think so, too. I don't see a scenario which we lose this game. Yeah, well, I mean, I could I could see it if they get a lot of turnovers and they start passing the ball and our secondary is weak, but I don't see us after the week against Hawaii. I don't see us losing this game. We open up at, I think, two-and-a-half-point favorites. How do you think this is going to go? Do you have a score prediction? Do you think we're going to cover? How ultimately do you think this game is going to go? Yeah, I definitely I agree with you. I think we take the win. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a one-score game, if not like a three-point game. Um, I was thinking somewhere around the ballpark of 24-17, but I'm going to up that a little bit because I think Bryce Love is a dangerous quarterback in this offense. Can, Josh Love, yeah. Or, yeah, sorry, Josh Love. We got too many loves in the Mountain West. I know. West. <laughs> I know. Um, he's a dangerous quarterback, and he can really step up. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 24-21. Nevada squeaks it out. Our defense makes a big stop in the fourth quarter that seals the deal uh, for the happy fans at Mackey. Everyone stays the whole game. It's gonna be a great game. And yeah, I guess we cover in yeah. that score prediction. It's gonna be a tough one, though. It's it's something that we can't take lightly. And I think 
really having the extra week to think about that more and more for the team is only going to help us. It's not going to hurt us. Yeah, I think I obviously think we cover as well. I think we get the dub. I think we win 27-21. Um, I still think that San Jose is going to score because I just think that's just how I wouldn't say bad, but our secondary is hurting right now, and um, I think he's going to exploit that, especially with how they how well they pass the ball. Um, I think it's going to be 27-21. We win the game. I think Toa has two touchdowns and finally reaches that over the 20 touch mark. He had 17 against Hawaii. I've been saying it. If for us to be truly successful, I think he needs to get 20 touches. And I think Malik has a passing touchdown. As well. Okay. Uh, I would say one touch. Yeah, I would say a passing touchdown from Malik. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to have a great first game. I also think he's going to throw a pick, though. He's just going to – I mean, it's his first FBS start. He's going to be a little rocky. But I think we ultimately win this game 27-21 in those pink uniforms. The um, Pack versus Cancer game is on Saturday. Um, it's at 1 at Mackey against San Jose State. Everyone get out. And um, finally, hopefully people will be able to stay the whole game because it's not a night game. They don't have too much to do at 4 o'clock on a Saturday besides watch the Pack. So hopefully the fans stay the entire time. And uh, we get the dub, and we'll be able to have a happy recap on Monday besides the you know, the one that we had against Hawaii. But um, any last thoughts, though, before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I'm going to throw out a bold prediction. I think Malik and Toa both rush for over 100 yards on Saturday. Ooh. I think Malik gets a lot of them from scrambling. I think he breaks like a 50-yarder and then gets kind of a, some chunk chains here and there. And I agree. I think, you know, we've been saying it and you've been harping on it. Uh, Tony's at 20 touches, and I think this is the week he finally kind of breaks out and does something really special. So I think they both have over 100 yards rushing, and that's going to propel us kind of over the top right there. I agree. And that would be the best scenario for the Pack and the Pack fans. Uh, hopefully we get the dub on Saturday. Pack versus Cancer, 1 o'clock. San Jose State, everyone get out and support. Thank you guys so much for listening and giving us your guys' time and go pack.